go to uh, this camp. It's uh, run by First Presbyterian Church in Ipswich, uh, Massachusetts. The camp is a great blessing, and it would be wonderful to have a group uh, going this year and be able to carpool and so forth. Um, well, those are uh, some of the uh, main announcements that I have for us. Let me just mention uh, just very briefly uh, about three matters for prayer. Um, one is uh, to pray for Pat Murray, who is back in the hospital. Um, she's at Bay State Hospital. She's had difficulty breathing uh, again. And so please pray for Pat. Uh, pre- please pray as well for Colleen Zalewski, who will be having surgery uh, this Thursday, I believe, uh, and um, and so pray that that uh, goes uh, goes well. Pray as well uh, for Tara Pierce. Tara um, has uh, a little bit of skin cancer uh, uh, near her eye. It's going to be removed uh, uh, at the end of this month. Uh, surgery, but they're not sure yet um, how much they're going to have to take the. Uh, whether they're going to have to graft skin in from from elsewhere, or how much, and how long of a recovery. Uh, so pray that they would be able to get all the cancer and that um, that the Lord would bless uh, all of that and they wouldn't that it wouldn't have to be a serious a real serious surgery uh, there for Tara as well. Um, well, let's uh, those are all the uh, prayer requests that I have for us. Let's uh, spend a moment now in silent prayer and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord uh, today. this morning to worship our triune God and our call to worship this morning comes from Revelation chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 great and amazing are your deeds O Lord God the Almighty just and true are your ways O King of the nations who will not fear O Lord and glorify your name For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen. We will continue worshiping the Lord by singing hymn 219. 219, O worship the King. Thank you. 
Indeed, you are our King. You are the God, Savior, and we fear you and we worship your name. We come to your presence in the mediation of your Son, Lord, and we ask you that you receive our praises. They are imperfect, but in Christ they are made perfect to you. Lord, draw our hearts to yourself. Let us bow in spirit before your majesty. Let us help us to see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, sung in the word, preached through preached in the word, we ask you. Forgive our sins. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. A scripture reading this morning, you can be seated. I'm sorry. A scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, verses 29 through 51. Exodus 12, verses 29 through 51. Hear God's word, please. Before that, let just make me let me just make a brief comment on this. We've been reading on uh, through the book of Exodus, so the first section of this chapter contains an announcement of the tenth plague, the institution of the Passover, and instructions on how to celebrate it. So God has sent ten plagues to Egypt. Pharaoh's heart remain hardened. But this time, God says to his people, get ready, because now you are living. The exodus is happening now. Eat this, the Passover in haste. So God will send this tenth plague, which consists of uh, the death of the firstborn. It will come to every house in Egypt. Unless there is blood in the house, there will be death. So, this blood is the blood of the lamb, a lamb without blame, without blemish. So, this lamb is going to be killed and will be a substitution for the firstborn. That is the way that deliverance will come about to the Israelites. So, in this section that we will read this morning, there will be the fulfillment, because that we have read the announcement now we are going to have the fulfillment of both threats of God, threats of death, and of His promise to deliver His people of Israel. So by faith, the people of Israel is going to kill the lamb and going to apply the blood on the doorpost. 
So when God sent the tenth plague, that plague will come, but when, when God sees the blood on the doorpost, he will not strike with that. He will preserve. He will deliver. So what we see here is that Pharaoh finally is going to let the people of Israel go free. He has said before, who is the Lord that I might hear his voice? Now he knows him. He's going to hear his voice and let the people go. Before, he has tried to negotiate with God, saying, I'll let the people go, but only the men. But we know God will never surrender to man's term. Man has to surrender to God in his own terms. Pharaoh will let people go and he will say, go as you have said. That is, as the Lord has determined it. So, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt now fill with dread. The people are filled with dread. The, the Egyptians. So, they will let the people go. And they will say, be gone. We just want you to be gone. You are trouble for us. And uh, they haven't enslaved the people of Israel. But as we will see here, now they will give whatever they ask for. Whatever they ask for. Man profits nothing. Nothing from hardening his heart against the Almighty God. And of course, uh, this Passover only anticipated the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for forgiveness of our sin. When we appropriate by faith that blood, that cleansing, we are cleansed. And God will not strike with judgment anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So with that in, in mind, let us read God's word. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the, in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, and you, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for the silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them they gave they have they let them have what they asked thus they plundered the egyptians and the people of israel journeyed from ramses to succoth about about 600,000 men on foot 
besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So, this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave is, every slave that is bought by money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Amen. At this time, we are going to confess our undoubted Catholic faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and Yeah. 
this time, let us sing our doxology, stanza one of number 150. to collect our tithes and offerings. But before that, let us seek the Lord's face in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you so much for all provision. We thank you because we can express our confidence, our trust in you by giving back part of what you have given us. Please receive it as an act of thankfulness and Lord use it to advance your kingdom. That the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to go forth, and that many souls will be converted to Him. In His name, Amen. At this time, let us once again seek the Lord's face in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord God, Almighty, we come here to worship your great name, for you are God alone. We come here because we acknowledge that you made us. We didn't make ourselves. We know 
that this world did not come to exist by any sort of accident, but it was you. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you made us also. We are your creatures. Not only your creature, but the very image of God. We were made after your image, Lord Man was given by you great honor. But we acknowledge, while we acknowledge that you made everything perfect, very good, we know that men sinned. We sinned, Lord. The creation was cursed. But though that would seem to the enemies, to your enemies, that your plans, the plans of God, were thwarted, They were not. You as the triune God, infinite in knowledge and kindness and glory, made something even better. You sent your Son, who took upon himself human flesh, Jesus incarnate, a man, a perfect man, and in him you elevate our fallen nature again, even to a higher level, than the first creation. All who believe in Him become new creatures. Creatures that will never be enslaved to sin again. Creatures that can hope, that have a sure hope of living a life of perfection in perfect communion with You one day. Oh Lord, how great You are. How good you are. How majestic. We praise you. Lord, we pray for your church while we thank you because you established the church. We also pray that you continue to sustain your church everywhere in the world. We pray for those, Lord, who do not have the same comfort that we have here to worship your name, but they remain faithful that you give them the boldness, Lord, to stand firm as they witness the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord God, as for us, help us, Lord, not to be lazy, not to grow accustomed of having this freedom to worship your name, but come to your presence in awe and pray for the church and serve you in all ways that we can, we pray. We thank you for this local church here. We thank you for sustaining faithful preaching of the word. We thank you for the brotherhood that we have here, Lord. What a token of your grace it is. Lord God, we ask you that you may add to the numbers of the saved here and this church, and that you will sustain the people that you have gathered as your church here. Lord, we pray for this nation. Again, we ask you, Lord God, that the fear of God might go throughout this land, that the gospel will go free, and that many will be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Lord, we pray for the particular needs of this congregation. We pray for Joe Ruiz and uh, his wife, Amy, 
for on the passing of Joe's mom a few weeks ago. We pray for comfort, Lord. We pray that you they will know, Lord, the heavenly comforts, even in this great loss. We pray for their granddaughter, Hadassah, that she will be able to eat and drink properly, but above all, that she will be trusting in the Lord. We pray for this little one, this little child, Joseph, who has this rare virus, rare, Lord. Many things in this disease are unknown to men, but not to you, the creator of the viruses. The God who heals all diseases, that this child will have, will know your healing hand, and will know especially your saving hand upon him. We pray for the parents, Carlo and Crystal, Lord, that they will also look to the Lord in this moment. We pray for this all the child, this little one, Lucas, about seven years old, who had this aneurysm. And Lord, we ask you that you lay your, your healing hand upon him. That this child will know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. We pray for Lindsay Connor. She still struggles with migraines and headaches. Lord, we ask you that you grant her relief and she, that she will look to the Lord in this time. We pray for our sister Chrissy healed as well, and Lord, shots has not have not been as affected, effective as expected. We pray that you will grant her relief, grant her that refreshing of health that she may, may be free to serve her family, to serve here in the church, to serve you, Lord, and glorify your name. We ask you for Brad Sprecher's mother. She has this abdominal heart, uh, abnormal heart rhythm, a problem that she has in her heart. Now we, we ask you that you will, that you will heal her and uh, that she will know at this moment that you are for her a father. We pray for the surgery, the upcoming surgery of Colleen Zalewski. Lord, and moments like this, we, we see our, how much fragile we are. May, may she rest assured that you are with her. May you make this surgery, Lord, means of blessing her and grant her health, we pray. We pray also for Jean who also is expecting to have a surgery soon, that all will go well in this surgery, Lord. Especially, we pray about this concern of having a cold and that the surgery would have to be delayed. We, we ask you that your will be done and that you bless him. We pray for Pat, Pat Murray, that we found out that she's in the hospital, Lord. We, we pray that you be near her as well. We pray for... For Tara and her surgery uh, on her eye, Lord, we also pray that you make it successful and that she will be able to open her lips to praise you for this. We pray for Joanne Walsh and as she struggle with her MS, that you continue to be with her. And Lord, we, we ask you also, 
we remember, Lord, the, the church in Miller's Fall, and we ask you that you, you bless the church and that you bless also Mark Popovich, who, who is there serving as a state supply. We ask you all these things. We ask you also, especially for the preaching of your word. Oh, Lord, may you bless it. May we hear your voice today and be transformed. May souls be saved. Lord, may your church be built up and edified. Be with Pastor Rob as he preaches. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Uh, sing. Uh, once again, our hymn is the hymn, His Mercy is More. This is one that we learned uh, together in the Sunday School Hour just a few weeks ago, and we've sung it uh, once, one other time in public worship. It's a glorious hymn about uh, really the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the forgiveness that is found in Christ alone. And so we'll sing. You will notice on the uh, in the insert, if you're following the words there, uh, it doesn't have that, that we're, we will be singing the, the chorus after each one of the stanzas, uh, and, and the, what's on the wall will be appropriate there. So uh, again, his mercy is more. Let's stand and sing together.
invite you to uh, open with me now in God's Word uh, to the book of uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. And our scripture text is verses 6 through 10, Galatians chapter 1 and verses uh, 6 through 10. We began last week with our study of uh, the book of Galatians. may recall that I mentioned this is likely the first book of the New Testament that was written. Uh, it's uh, written by Paul uh, to the Galatian church, which is uh, in modern-day Turkey. There's debate about whether he is referring to churches that are in the north or churches that are in uh, the southern part, especially places like Pisidian Antioch and Lystra and Derby, where he planted churches, I think it is more likely that that is uh, the area that is referred to, these churches that Paul had had a personal contact with uh, in uh, southern Asia Minor. He writes this, uh, he writes this epistle uh, soon after he, he had made contact with them and planted these churches, uh, but then uh, false teachers had come in. And this letter was urgently uh, necessary. So let's now hear from God's Word, Galatians chapter 1 and verses 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Or am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's uh, once again uh, look to the Lord uh, together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is uh, the best news that we have ever received. Uh, this heaven-sent gospel of redemption through Jesus and His blood. Lord, our God, encourage our hearts. Especially, Lord, even now, help us to do battle against the temptation ever, ever to depart from this gospel that has once been delivered to us. Use Your Word now today, Lord, that we would ever cleave to this biblical truth for your glory and our soul's good, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, Paul is utterly astonished. He's surprised. He's alarmed, we might say. Uh, The British would say he is gobsmacked. So much so that Paul doesn't begin this letter 
uh, with the way that he will begin most of his other letters, which is that after he greets them, Paul, an apostle, and the church to which he is writing and delivers a message of grace and peace, typically Paul will utter a prayer of thanksgiving for those uh, believers. So, for example, in the book of uh, Philippians, he does just that after saying to them, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And then he tells them why he's so thankful for them and why he rejoices alongside of them. But dear friends, not so with these Galatians. After his introductory greeting, Paul says these words, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and are turning to a different gospel. There are words of urgency and of alarm. You know, it's kind of like if, uh, you can pretend this scenario with me for a moment, if I were, uh, if you were a, a little child and you were out playing with me when I was a little child. We were there uh, in the playground together having a great time and suddenly uh, the, the car comes by and it's my mom in the car. She rolls down the window And instead of saying some pleasant things like, are you all having fun? Uh, Or even uh, uh, and and asking you how your family is doing and and how your summer has been going and so forth. If instead of that, she rolls down the window and says the words, Robert Stephen Hill in here now. Ooh, okay. And wouldn't you like to know what it was? But that's kind of what Paul is doing here, right? No words of greeting, no words of thanksgiving, no niceties, but rather immediately to the point. I'm astonished. There is something serious going on here. And we would say this on a very serious note here, with all of his apostolic authority, this is exactly what Paul is doing here with these Galatian Christians. So let's look at what it is that he's so alarmed by. There's important lessons for this uh, in us. We're going to do it by a series of questions. First of all, we're going to ask, well, what is the danger? What is the danger? And then secondly, we're going to ask, well, why is it so dangerous? And then thirdly, the question, is it good to be warned? So what is the danger? Secondly, why is it so dangerous? And there we're probably going to spend more time than any of the other points on that second point. And then thirdly, is it good to be warned? Well, the first thing, well, what is the danger that Paul is so astonished by? And he's very upfront with it. Here in verse 6, he is astonished because these Galatian Christians are turning to a different gospel. That's what the issue is. You see, this Galatian church was a church that was uh, very near and dear to Paul. These were churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey. Paul was the one who had brought the gospel to them, the only gospel that saves the gospel concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was 
A gospel which these believers had received and embraced, even at great cost, uh, to themselves. So, for example, in Pisidian Antioch, Acts 13 tells us that many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Or then later at Iconium, Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Their word was also in that city and made many disciples. These were, these were towns where true converts to the Lord Jesus Christ were made, where the gospel had been preached. But something had happened once Paul had left. Other teachers came in. We don't know exactly where uh, these teachers came from. It was from outside of Galatia. Perhaps it was from Jerusalem. And they began to teach in the churches. But the message that they brought was not the same one that Paul had brought. They adjusted the message a little bit. They probably thought that they were improving it. Even correcting Paul. Uh, these are teachers who uh, we will call Judaizers. We're going to run into them a lot, especially as we move on to uh, Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to look at what, what it is that they taught. But in, in summary, what they advocated was that in order to be saved, one must keep the law of Moses, and especially one must be circumcised in addition to believing in the work of Christ. The summary of their gospel is found in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Christ's work was good as far as it went, but you cannot be saved. You cannot be right with God without also obeying the entire law of Moses yourself. Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become full-fledged Christians. That was what they were saying. And again, we'll go into it uh, in much greater depth in the future. Well, many of the Galatians, uh, so soon after Paul had left them, were now embracing this teaching. And Paul is horrified. For what these teachers were doing was, as Paul says here in uh, verse 7, what they were doing was distorting the gospel of Christ. They were perverting it. The word can actually be translated uh, to reverse or to turn upside down. <laughs> they were taking the true gospel of Christ and they were uh, turning it upside down. They were teaching error and the Galatians were, instead of rejecting it, were embracing it. They were apostatizing, departing from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, dear friends, is the danger. That's what Paul was so astonished by, so alarmed by. It was a serious uh, danger. And let me, before we move on from this point, make a lesson to us. And it is to say this, dear friends, 
how vulnerable we are to substitute Gospels. I mean, think about it for a moment. Here was the Galatian church. They were planted by the Apostle Paul. They heard Paul preach to them. Wouldn't that be cool to have Paul as your preacher? Okay, here was a man of the utmost orthodoxy. Here was the apostle to the Gentiles. These were churches that were established by him. And yet, so soon after he had left, they turned away from the gospel which he had preached. And, and the false teaching that came to him was, was subtle, or that came to them was subtle. And so it is in our day also, if they turned aside, what temptation there still is in the church today to turn aside. And there are many, many false gospels that are advocated today. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is continually under attack. And you and I, dear friends, are called to exercise extraordinary discernment. Uh, on this thing, on, on this matter. Well, what are some of the false gospels that we hear in our day? Well, one of them that continues to be perpetuated is that of the Roman Catholic Church, which continues to advocate good works as the basis for our right standing with God. Dear friends, uh, that false teaching codified at the Council of Trent that the, in the 16th century continues today, dear friends, and it is uh, on that issue of salvation, not biblical teaching regarding the gospel. There are other false gospels as well. There are some, many in fact, who want to make the gospel not about Christ's work on our behalf that we receive by faith, but rather want to make the gospel about us imitating Christ or living as he lived. You'll hear it in phrases like this. Well, we need less doctrine and more life. Christianity is about a lifestyle. It's not about a teaching. Can't we have a church that is focused more on, well, simply just doing acts of kindness? And they'll put it this way, doing the things that Jesus did. And, and that's that. Well, it sounds attractive, right? We want to do what Jesus did, certainly. You see what they're doing? They're substituting the gospel of grace with the gospel of works. Well, there are others. In fact, I just read an article in the New York Times this week. There are others who, who, who embrace religion in our day because of the ritual and the stability and the sense of community that religion can bring that fills void in their lives. So they say, I want to be religious because that the, the ritual, the sense of community, it really, it really speaks to my soul. And, and there's part of us that says, wow, that's kind of cool. But that becomes a substitute for the gospel of Christ. Is religion simply about a religion or a ritual or even a sense of community? Well, others will substitute the gospel with a platform for a political agenda, either, either right-wing or left-wing. And uh, the political agenda becomes the, the main thing. It becomes a substitute for the gospel. Others, well, others say that, well, they like religion for the psychological benefits that it brings. Well, 
you can believe whatever religion you want as long as it makes you happy and gives you a sense of meaning and a sense of fulfillment. Right? We hear that in our day. But you see, that's a substitute gospel. Because suddenly it's that sense of meaning or fulfillment that becomes the chief thing. Rather than Jesus Christ and Him crucified uh, for sinners. Okay, and the list goes on and on. Do you see, in our day, even, there are many, many substitute gospels which either seek to replace biblical doctrines of sin and of hell and of Christ's righteousness and the cross and of faith, to replace those things with something else or to add to those things with something else. And Paul's word needs to be sounded as clearly today as it did in the first century. Wherever these false gospels are present and wherever people are tempted to embrace those rather than the true gospel of Christ, the word of God says to us, dear friends, I am astonished that you are turning to a different gospel. Do not do it. So that is what the danger is. The danger, dear friends, are these false gospels. But now, secondly, let's ask the question, well, why is this so dangerous? Or why are these substitute gospels so uh, dangerous? Well, Paul gives us about four different reasons in this passage about why he is warning them in this way. And the first is this, is that this different gospel is actually an act of spiritual desertion. It's an act of spiritual desertion. Did you notice Paul's language in verse 6? I am astonished that you are, and then how does he describe their embrace of false doctrine? He says that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. What are you doing? You are actually being a traitor. And a traitor to what or to whom? Notice that they aren't deserting merely something, a gospel, but rather that they are deserting someone. Who are they deserting? They are deserting Him who called you. And the idea is here with that effectual call of God's grace who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ, who called you powerfully, savingly by that gospel that pulls us out of our sin and darkness into that state of salvation. You are deserting the very God of all grace and of mercy. The God of the gospel. What a powerful word this is, because, you know, many people view um, religious changes as a change of perspective or a change of mind, right? Say, well, I've had a change of mind. I don't believe the things that I once did. My views have changed. Now, you know, that makes it all seem rather harmless, doesn't it? You know, changes of ideas seem rather harmless. We change our ideas about, about many things, some of you more than others, you know, sometimes about simple things, you know, whether you like mushrooms or not. Or sometimes more serious things, like uh, what you think about the economic policies of our 
of our nation. And, and you'll say, well, I've had a change of mind. My thinking's changed on the matter, right? That's what we do. But it's okay to change our minds about things. But dear friends, what Paul is saying is that to believe a different gospel isn't merely a change of mind, but rather it is an act of spiritual desertion. And why is that? Well, it is because the gospel, dear friends, is not merely words or ideas, but rather the gospel is, a descriptive, uh, is descriptive of reality. The gospel tells us what the living God has actually done for lost sinners like you and like me. The gospel describes what the living God has done to rescue sinners. The plan that he executed by the death of his own son. And the point is that if you reject that, you are not merely rejecting an idea, but you are rejecting him. You are spitting in his face. You are saying, I don't want this. I don't want you and what you have done. And dear friends, that is serious. <laughs> that is really serious. And that's what Paul is saying. To embrace a different gospel is dangerous because it is an act of spiritual desertion, desertion of the true and living God whose gospel it is. Secondly, why is this so dangerous? It is because these different gospels are no gospel at all. Because a different gospel is no gospel at all. Did you notice that in verse 7? What, what language that, that Paul uses here? We've been using this phrase, a different gospel, the whole time, and we use it because that's what Paul says. You've turned to a different gospel. But then in verse 7, he immediately offers a kind of, a, a kind of correction. He goes on and says, not that there is another one. Not that there is another. In other words, uh, what I have been calling a different gospel is in fact no gospel at all. Well, why is this? Well, the word gospel, friends, is the word which means good news, right? The gospel is an announcement of good news. And Paul is saying, well, there's only one good news. It is what God has done for lost sinners through Christ's death and resurrection. The good news is that Christ's work alone is sufficient to save us. That's the good news. What you and I are unable to accomplish by our own work, Christ has done, and it is received by faith alone. That is good news. And as soon as you add anything as a requirement to the work of Jesus Christ, as soon as you substitute anything for His work, that good news becomes very bad news indeed. Because that other gospel doesn't save us. Let me just try to use this as maybe a poor illustration, but I'll give it my best shot. Okay, I love milkshakes. Uh, okay, you, you have a milkshake. Strawberry milkshake. It's the middle of summer. Wonderful strawberry milkshake. You're enjoying the sweetness of it. What would happen if you just added uh, just a little bit of poison into that milkshake? Children, should we drink that milkshake any longer? That's only a little bit. Most of it's milkshake. Right? Most of it's milkshake. Should I drink that milkshake anymore if it has just a little bit of poison in it? And the answer is no, not at all. 
Dear friends, if we add anything to the complete, perfect work of Jesus Christ, it's a little bit of poison being put into that gospel. And it makes the whole thing bad. There is no gospel at all if we distort in any way that gospel which has been revealed for us in Holy Scripture. At that moment, the gospel ceases to be good news. There is only one gospel. But the third reason why it is so dangerous, the third reason why these different gospels are so dangerous is because it troubles the church. It troubles the church. Did you notice that in verse 7? These teachers of this uh, different gospel were those who trouble you. That's the word. That's the real effect of their teaching. They didn't come in and strengthen the church. They didn't make it more effective. They didn't make it better, but rather instead they weakened the church. They troubled the church. You know, so often people introduce new teachings because they think it will uh, perhaps strengthen the church's witness and make it more relevant. You know, let's not talk about sin, for example, because people don't want to hear about sin in our day. And if we just take out that part about sin, well, more people are going to come and they're going to receive the message that we bring, right? That's the kind of thing that's, that's said. But the problem is, again, if you take out the message of sin, then there's no need for Jesus Christ. There's no need for the cross. And the whole, the whole message crumbles. The whole gospel crumbles there. And what in reality, uh, or, or what you may have thought was going to help the church actually weakens the church. If you make the church's message primarily about doing good works, if you make the, uh, the church's message about anything chiefly other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it will ultimately weaken the church, trouble the church. And dear friends, if unchecked, it will destroy the church. I wonder how you would answer this question. What is the greatest threat to the Christian church today? What is the greatest threat to the Christian church today? You may, you may want to say, well, I think it's persecution, right? Christians who are being killed for the faith. Or perhaps you, you might say, well, the problem is, is that the church is being pushed to the periphery of culture. And again, maybe each of these things are things that we ought to be concerned about. We ought to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We ought to be concerned about the culture in which we live. Yes and amen. But dear friends, neither of those are the greatest threat to the church. The greatest threat to the church is the abandonment of the gospel. The church loses the gospel. It's lost everything. There's no reason for it to exist any longer. If it, if it loses the gospel. You know, I left uh, the mainline denomination that I grew up in for this reason, because I was convinced that in large measure it had lost the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And as, as soon as the church loses the gospel, however much it seeks to keep up with the spirit of the age, it becomes absolutely irrelevant because it has no saving message to bring. The church is called to proclaim the only gospel message that saves. There is no greater priority for the church of Jesus Christ than this, that it continue to preach and to teach unashamedly the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness. And that it not change or adjust that message at all to meet the passing whims of a passing age. Let's not be held captive by the age, but rather let's speak from, as it were, with the authority of God Himself, the only message that can save lost sinners. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps the church strong. And it's adherence to the gospel that ought always to be our first concern as a church. Why is another gospel so dangerous? Well, because another gospel troubles and even destroys, ultimately, the church. Now, fourthly, why is another gospel so dangerous? It is because its promoters are under the curse of God. Its promoters are under the curse of God. We see this in verses 8 and 9. He goes on to say, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it, verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say to get again, if anyone is preaching, and here he takes it away from a kind of conditional, as it were, to something that is, uh, that is happening. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. Interestingly, the, the word anathema is, is a word that simply means to lift up. The idea is, is that you're being lifted up in the presence of God either for blessing or for cursing. The idea is here that if you are one who has promoted a gospel that is contrary to the one that is revealed in Holy Scripture, might you be, as it were, lifted up into the very presence of God to experience His curse and His wrath. He is saying it does not matter who the teacher of this gospel is. Even if it were me, he says, even if it were an angel, no matter who it is, no matter how attractive, how gifted an individual is, what matters is not that individual, but the message that they bring. And the question is not how attractive are they in bringing it, but is this message true to the gospel revealed through the apostles, in Holy Scripture. That's the question that matters. And this says, for all those who are not bringing this true gospel, they are under the curse of God. We uh, recently, on our trip up to Vermont, just a a few weeks ago, we passed, um, we were off on a country road. We had pulled off the main road. We passed a place and and there was uh, a sign there it actually indicated the birthplace of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. 
I remember I almost shuddered as I went by that place. And you think that this man, this man has done far more damage in this world than a Hitler or a Stalin ever did. And I say that with reverence. Hitler and Stalin were evil, evil men who killed many people unjustly. How many millions of souls are under bondage to the false gospel of Mormonism? What a terrible thing it is to be found promoting anything other than the true gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18.22, that whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it's better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Be a teacher is a serious thing, and to promote that which is unbiblical teaching is a various, very, very serious thing indeed. So, dear friends, whenever we might be tempted by some other gospel for whatever reason, that it sounds good, that it appeals to our flesh, that it seems to help us to fit in better, whatever it is, even if just we find our minds are naturally drawn to that. Dear friends, if it is against biblical revelation, let us remember that all who promote such a thing are under the very curse of God. He says, whoever, whoever would preach to you this different gospel, let him be accursed. So here we have seen what the danger is. The danger is of any other gospel than that of the Lord Jesus. And again, in future weeks, dear friends, we're going to explore what this gospel is in great detail. But we've seen what that danger is. We've seen why it is so dangerous. Why it is so dangerous for anybody uh, to embrace any other gospel than that of the Lord Jesus. But now, third and finally, I want us to ask the question, Is it good to be warned in this way? Is it good to be warned in this way? Notice what Paul says in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here it seems that that the Apostle Paul had come under attack by these false teachers where they had accused Paul of being a kind of man-pleaser. He was a kind of man-pleaser. And you kind of scratch your head and you think, I wonder why they accused him of that. Well, I think probably it had something to do with the fact that Paul, generally speaking, was a pretty large-hearted, generous person who spoke very well of other people. He was not naturally an intolerant, kind of harsh, critical person. He was not an authoritarian kind of person by nature. At all. He was willing, he says elsewhere, to become all things to all men in order that he might win some. Here was a man who loved other people, who was a tolerant kind of individual. But here is this man, this Paul, on this point saying, You must not embrace any other God. He is saying this not because he is by nature a kind of harsh, critical, intolerant sort of person. 
He is saying this because in his own language, I am utterly bound as a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his. And therefore, I must warn you about this danger. I'm doing this not because I'm a man pleaser. In fact, this goes against everything in my nature. I'm doing this because I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am here as one who is to please a God. It was not easy for Paul, in one sense, to warn them like this, but he did it nonetheless because the very glory of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the good of these souls was at stake. And if it was true in the first century, it is absolutely no less true today. The glory of God, the gospel of Christ, and the good of souls are at stake in this matter of the gospel. So is it good to be warned like the Apostle Paul warns? And the answer is absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. We need to hear warnings like this. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. By way of application, I just ask you, are you willing to have others speak into your life and to warn you when tempted to go astray? To speak a word, a loving word of warning to you when you are tempted to embrace some other gospel like these Galatians were? Can we believe that that word is coming from a friend? Like Paul is saying to them, this word is coming to you. It's coming to you from a friend, from your spiritual father figure, from one who loves you. Are we willing to have people who love us speak a word to us about the things that really matter, about the gospel of Christ? We need to be open warning, to rebuke, to receive it in love. But can I say as well that in the same way that we need to be open to receiving rebuke, we also need to be willing to give it when necessary. When people that we know and that we love depart from the gospel, we ought not to allow them simply to go their way. We ought not simply to say, you know, it's so sad what they've done. But it's their decision. Who am I to say anything? It will need to be God who convicts them. Well, it is God who convicts them, dear friends. But he does it through the words of men and women of God who speak truth to them in love. And it doesn't mean that it's the only thing that we ever say to other people or that it's uh, the only note that we ever sound. But friends, like Paul was willing to say to these Galatians whom he loved dearly, I'm astonished that you are departing for another gospel. We need to be willing with a heart full of love and a heart full of of interest and concern for other people to say to them with with a tenderness, I am astonished that you are doing this. Don't go there. Can I plead with you? Don't do this. Don't turn your back on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a warning. And it's a good thing. Paul told Timothy that he was, as part of his job as a gospel minister, was 
that he was to preach the word. He was to be ready in and out of season. He was to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then the book of 1 John, at the very end of 1 John chapter 5, uh, we are told these words as well. Um, that if, we, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Uh, and he and he says uh, that we ought to that we ought to pray for them, and we know uh, and, um, and I'm not finding the passage right here, but basically that that the, that the one who warns uh, such a one uh, that uh, will then save their souls from death. Dear friends, we ought to be those who are willing to warn others in love. Uh, for for their good. So is it good that Paul sounded this warning? And the answer is yes, it is. And might we also be um, be encouraged in this, dear friends, not only to warn uh, one another, but ourselves to embrace and adhere to this gospel that has once been delivered. Might the Lord keep us from ever departing for any other. Might it be for each one of you that after you have Serve the Lord for 10 or 20 or 30 years or 50 years, even when you are on death's doorstep, that you might say, yet by the grace of God, I am continuing to believe that same gospel by which I was first saved so long ago. It's the mark of a beautiful and wonderful life. Might the Lord uh, help us in this. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this glorious gospel, this wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this gospel by which we are saved, the only gospel that has ever been given. Now, Lord, our God in heaven, we ask now that you would uh, free us from the temptation ever to depart from it. Give us wisdom to discern uh, the, the ways that we would ever be tempted to leave it, O Lord, make us see the danger in going after any other gospel than that which has been delivered by you through the apostles in Holy Scripture. Make us to be willing to warn and to heed warnings as well. And we pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's now uh, sing. We're going to sing together. The hymn, uh, Jesus with thy church abide. It's hymn number 406. And in this hymn, it's really a prayer in which we are asking the Lord Jesus to continue to be with his church even to the end of the age and to protect us against all which would turn us aside. Uh, Keep her life and doctrine pure. Grant her patience to endure, trusting in thy promise sure. We beseech thee, hear us. We'll sing all nine stanzas. It's hymn 406. Let's stand to sing.
John, but just my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well, let's hear God's uh, benediction upon us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, Amen.